You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Uh, We are in the Sermon on the Mount, no surprise there. We are coming to the end of the series in the Sermon on the Mount. We are in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 7. The reason why I ask you to stand is to honor, to honor the reading of God's Word is because we really believe, at Meadowbrook, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that I have nothing better to offer you than what's inside this book. And so we take it very seriously, and that's why we ask you to stand. And then after the reading of it, we ask you to sit. Uh, so this is the Word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened or which of you uh, if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent if you then who are evil know how to give to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him so Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You may be seated. So it's been an interesting week. And when I, say, when I say interesting, I say that in no way to take away from some of the pain and suffering that, uh, of those who I have had conversations with this week. But let me just share with you this passage and its place in my life this week as your pastor. So on Monday, I usually, Monday is my day off, usually, not all the time, but usually my day off. And I look forward to it because I, I go to Gold's Gym, I hang out at Gold's Gym for a couple hours on a, on a Monday. I don't feel like I have anything pressing to, to address. And so at Gold's Gym, my workout usually looks like this. It's about an hour cardio and an hour just all weights, free weights. And so for me, that's how I manage my stress. Cycling season, I do that, and then throughout the week, I'm riding a bike, you know, miles on end. And, and so God gives me that time to just, to just reflect upon him. So I am not the only person I'm listening to on Sunday. <laughs> I need to hear God speak into my life, too. So not only does he do that through my sermon preparation as I'm preparing each sermon each week, but I listen to a sermon. Sometimes I listen to several sermons throughout the course of a week of, from other people like Tim Keller or Matt Chandler or, or John Piper or, you know, uh, the list goes, goes on. There are a number of people that I, that I listen to, Alistair Begg, I listen to them. And I also, I also meditate upon the passage that I'm going to preach on that coming, that coming Sunday. So on Monday, I'm already stewing on the passage I'm going to be preaching on, on a deeper level than, than, than previous weeks. And so as I was reflecting upon these verses in Matthew chapter 7, uh, just ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, I was just I, I was blown away by that. Now I'm going to reflect on some passages that, uh, that, tie, that I think are related to this, towards the end of my sermon, but I was reflecting on those passages also, and that's where the title of my sermon came from, because I was just overwhelmed by this God, according to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, who will not turn us away. 
He is a God who does not turn his children away. Now, I turn him away. You may turn him away. You know, there are, you know, we're busy people, and, and we get consumed by just the stuff of life, and, and we come up with all kinds of excuses why we can't spend time with God, so therefore we turn him away, but he doesn't turn us away. We have a God who does not turn us away. So I was processing that and thinking through that and meditating upon that, and, and then Tuesday came. So Tuesday, I got a phone call from an individual, a young adult, who is struggling with uh, alcoholism. He said, Pastor Keith, I, I can't. I haven't seen this person in a while. And so it was, it was a surprise to get this call. And he said, I, I can't get free of this. And, and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And so we had that conversation. And uh, had a conversation with an individual on Wednesday, actually Wednesday morning, Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., I got to uh, have some guys, uh, local pastors, Sean, Josh, and Jake. We met in my office at 9 in the morning and prayed for nearly an hour together. It was so sweet. It was so good. I, these are guys I look forward to developing a lasting uh, friendship with. So that was Wednesday morning, and then Wednesday, later that morning, had a meeting with an individual who just was struggling, just struggling with life and struggling with disappointment and struggling with, with being heartbroken and just struggling and, and whether, or not, whether or not this person wanted to live. Met with that person. And then uh, on... On Thursday, I had a meeting with Larry, who plays the guitar up here. He, he's been real helpful in just helping me stay organized with the worship team and just kind of moving us forward with our technology and stuff. And so we, we meet and we visit uh, pretty regularly. And so he was in my office, and I got a text message uh, that uh, Mark Palmer, was in, who was a, a, part, a part of our church family, Deb, who's here regularly, his wife, uh, that he was on his way to the ER by ambulance because he was suffering from cardiac arrest. So cardiac arrest, and then uh, got another text message during that morning that he, that he stopped breathing. And then I got another text message that he had gone home to be with the Lord. All the while, this passage is just on my heart Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you that we have a God who will not turn us away. And, uh, and so, so I went to the hospital to meet up with Deb and walked with her to the room where the corpse of what was her husband was there. That, the memorial service for Mark will be this Friday. We're still working out the details for time, but it will be Friday morning. So then Friday comes. So Friday, uh, I'm like, yes, I'm going to get my sermon done. Uh, it's been a busy week and filled with lots of meetings, meetings that were, were I mean, that's my role as a pastor. I, I, there were, I felt like God was using me all throughout the week, but I, I, my sermon was staring me in the face. Time to get this thing done, right? 
we have a God who will not turn us away. And, uh, you know, as I was praying, I struggled with mentioning this to you. Uh, I wanted to save it to the end of the service. But I'll say, I'll say it now. But as I, Lane Goff, and I had a scheduled appointment meeting over the phone later that afternoon, Friday afternoon. And so, so I'm, you know, ask, seek, knock, Lord, bring Lane here, bring, bring Lane to, to Meadowbrook Church. Um, you know I want him here. <laughs> Uh, I really like Lane. You know, we've been having this conversation for like two months. And then Lane called, and I just knew in my heart even before uh, that this probably wasn't going to work out. And, uh, and so we had a conversation, and it really boiled down. It had nothing to do with Meadowbrook. had everything to do with their son, Bo, who has breathing problems, and the housing market here in Cheyenne. So Lane is not coming. Now, I've been interviewing, interviewing people along the process, and so we have a candidate that's kind of gotten through the first two phases of the interview process. The next one will be with the elders. But, um, but I, here, I'm stowing on this passage, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock. You know, like, this is like in my face and, I, and God just, just saturating my heart with the truth, the biblical truth that he is a God who will not turn us away. And, uh, and so just, just, just working through that, and, and just the reality that this sermon that Jesus preached in, in the Sermon on the Mount is for you and it's for me. Like, this is real. Like, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, speaks into the death of Mark Palmer. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, speaks into the candidacy search of a pastor of discipleship and worship. It speaks into whatever things that you're going, that's going on in your life right now. It speaks into your life. It speaks into your heart. Like God is bigger than our problems, infinitely bigger. And so I was just stewing on that. And then my thoughts turned to, just as I was thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, I was thinking about the irony of another interaction with God's Word, on another mount, a mountain, Mount Sinai, and it was between Moses and God and the people of Israel. And so Moses you know, went and visited with the Lord uh, on the Mount Sinai to receive what? The Ten Commandments and, and other portions of the law he received while on the mount. And he came down, he came down the mountain and relayed to all of Israel, hey, this is the word of the Lord. He shared the Ten Commandments with them. Uh, he said, this is the word of the Lord. This is what God expects of you as you follow him. And their response was, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Like, we're for Yahweh. We're for God. We're all, we're all in, Moses. We're all in. Tell, tell God when you go back up to the top of the mountain that we're in. And so Moses went up and continued to meet with the Lord, and then uh, hours turned into days, and, and days turned into weeks, and the people were like, hey, where's Moses? Like, where, where'd he go? Like, what's going on with him? And so then they decided, well, he's probably not coming back, so I know what we'll do. How about we make a God in our image that we will worship? And like literally within days, they broke every, almost every commandment they said that they were going to obey. And 
so, yeah, how many of you have seen the Ten Commandments? <laughs> right? Yeah. Moses, yeah, that part where Moses got angry, that happened. And, uh, and so he, Moses, as a, as a good shepherd, pleaded with God not to destroy the people. And God relented. The, you know, he judged the people. But this is what God said after that. The Lord said to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, the words won't be on the screen. All this is in my manuscript. He said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land. I love the irony in this. Moses, um, who, who brought Israel out of Egypt? Was it Moses? No, it was the Lord that used Moses, right? But God's telling Moses, I, I think, for me, I think this is a teachable moment, and God's teaching Moses something. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you, <laughs> Moses, have brought up out of the land of Egypt. And, uh, you know, this land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, well, I'm going to give it to them, but I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going with you in a cloud by day and a, pyre, a, 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 a pillar of fire by, by night. I, I'm not going to do that. But I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, or Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to the land follow, or flowing with milk and, and, and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And so what did Moses do? Did he say, sounds good, I am so glad you're not going to destroy us. It's, it's good, Lord, I will trust you, and we'll just follow this angel you're going to send. Did, is that what Moses said? No, that's not how he responded. You know how he responded? He, he said, if your presence, all this is leading up to, the, to my sermon here, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that, uh, that I found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth, that your presence is with us? That's what sets us apart from every other nation in the world. And so God's presence went with Israel. And it was a hard road. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, a cycle of rebellion and repentance and and. and discipline and on and on. It was like they kept making laps around in the wilderness. It's like, like they would make one lap around in the wilderness before they would enter into the land. God's like, you still don't get it. Take another lap. It's like, take another lap. You still don't get it. Take another lap. And, um, and on and on it went. And then finally they eventually wound up in the land. But before, before they received the commandments, Moses, on behalf of God, spoke to Israel and said this. He said, this will make sense. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles', on eagles wings. This is before Moses delivered to them the Ten Commandments. It, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. In other words, God was saying to Israel through Moses, if you obey my commandments, you will be a light among the nations. You will be salt of the earth. You will be a preservative that keeps this world from rotting. You will be my kingdom of priests. That's what priests do. That's who you're going to be. 
Jesus, on another mount, not Mount Sinai, but some hill, delivers a sermon that we've been spending a lot of time unpacking, the Sermon on the Mount, and at the beginning of his sermon, he says something strangely similar to what was said to Israel before Moses gave them the Ten Commandments. This is what Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to, the, to, the, to all in the house. In this way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So they may see you as a kingdom of priests and give glory to God in heaven. You see the parallel? The, the track with me because it, it gets better. And maybe I'm the only one geeking out over this, but it's, it is really cool. In verse 7, so that's Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, where Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you're, the light, of, you're a light on a hill, you are a kingdom of priests. This sermon is for you, it's for me, it's for God's people. And then, in verse 17, just one verse after, later, after he said that, he said this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That law that Moses brought down to the people of Israel, I am fulfilling. I'm fulfilling that law. I'm fulfilling that law, church, <laughs> and let me unpack what it looks like to be the people of God. Let me unpack what it looks like to be a follower of me, to be a disciple. As I said from the beginning, the Sermon on the Mount draws us to the center of what it looks like to be a Christian. Now, I've had numerous conversations with some of you uh, throughout this sermon series, and I've had some come to me and say, I, I, you know, this sermon series has been good, I really like it, but it's also discouraging. I feel like I just keep falling short of, 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 of meeting that mark. I, I feel like I'm not a very good Christian. I feel horrible. I, I've heard that from some of you. And here's what I want you to see. One, I think you'll be very encouraged uh, by the end of this sermon. But there are places in this sermon where Jesus reminds us of something so critical, something that's so easy to miss, because in our brains, we think we've got to do something to earn God's favor. That's, we're just naturally inclined to do that. And so I have two points. One is a question, and the other is the answer to that question. One, how do we get to the center of discipleship? How do we get to the center that the Sermon on the Mount calls us to? So here's what I want to show you. I'm just going to take us, picture the Sermon on the Mount. Picture it this way. We are starting at the base of the mountain, and we are working our way up in terms of Jesus' sermon. Jesus' sermon is the Mount Everest of all sermons. Okay, And so... It is the greatest sermon ever preached. And, and in the Beatitudes, we get the first clue. How do we do this, Jesus? He tells us in verse 6. He, he, like the first three Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. And in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. How do I do this, Jesus? He tells us at the very beginning of his sermon, you need to hunger and thirst for a righteousness that is outside of yourself that only Jesus can satisfy. That's what, that's what discipleship looks like. How do I do this, Jesus? I must be walking in step with you. I must be following you. You must be the, the one who's satisfying my soul. And, uh, and, and of course, there are 
scores of things that Jesus, has, that Jesus said all throughout the Gospels. I am the bread of life. He said, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have eternal life. He's not saying physically. He's not talking about communion. He's talking about if you take me into yourself, like you ingest my teachings, who I am, into your life, you will never hunger. If you take me into your life, you will never thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then as you continue this upward climb in the Sermon on the Mount to just kind of see what it looks like to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, he says in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, Jesus, how, does my, how can my righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes? Good question. Here's the answer. Hunger and thirst for righteousness that is not your own. That's the answer. And he, even, and he, and he unpacks that even more, and we spent a, a long time just dissecting the Lord's Prayer. It's not some rope thing that we pray to get us into heaven. It is a model for our, for, for our prayer life. You're our Father. He's not just some deity out there. He is our Father. He is he is Elohim. That's the name that's used of God as the creator God. He spoke the galaxies into existence. He, he is Yahweh as his most holy name, personal name. He is the God who keeps covenant, and he is Adonai. He is the sovereign one. He doesn't take vacations. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't need a break. And we get to call him Father. We get to call him Father. And, and so the, the secret sauce to discipleship is, um, is given to us in the Lord's Prayer. That uh, through, what we learn through the Lord's Prayer is that, is that uh, it is in finding our identity, our satisfaction, our, and the reason for living in God is we, when we find that in Him, our satisfaction, our, living, living for, for, our reason for living, when we find those things in Him, that we are created for Him, then, then as, we, as we seek Him through Jesus, we it will shape our lives. It will affect the way we live our lives. It will shape the, what you say. It will, it, it will color your language. It, it will change you. God, you've heard me say this, God loves you too much to leave you as you are. And you know, the way that we guard our hearts from idols, like as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount, he talks, he ta- you know, we learn about, like, uh, do not be anxious. <laughs> uh, you know, don't judge others, you know, in a way that, uh, that's demeaning to them. The way that we guard our hearts from idols is, is to keep our focus heavenward on God. Again, Jesus gives us another clue as to what is it, how do I do this, Jesus? Verse 33, seek first, in chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be what? Added to you. What things? Not a bigger bank account, not a nicer car. He, he loves you more than anybody else could ever, ever love you. He treasures you. If you're a Christian, he treasures you. He calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. And he's for you. He's not against you. And Jesus says, look, you, you want to you know, know how you do this? Seek first the kingdom of God. That your affections and your hunger for righteousness is is on is set on God. And, and here's like here's the, this sounds so simplistic. So how how do we get to 
the center of discipleship. How do we, how do we look like this? With Jesus, that's how. We just follow him. And it's, you're not going to nail this, the Sermon on the Mount, you're not going to nail it down. You're going you're to mess up. But the more you follow him, the more you're going to look like him. And you do that by going to him, hearing him, listening to him, seeking him, praying, finding your satisfaction in him. And here, now we're, now we're in chapter 7, verse 7. Now we're at our passage now. We're kind of at the, the, the we're approaching the top of, uh, of the Mount Everest of, of, of sermons, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and it's here where, where Jesus just unpacks, hey, this is, this is how you get to that, that, to that discipleship thing I've been telling you about in this entire sermon. And that's intimacy with the Almighty. It's seeking him. It's finding your satisfaction in him. It's depending upon him. It's, it's, it's hungering and thirsting for righteousness that only he can satisfy through his son. That's how. And look at verse 12. If you're tracking with me in your Bible, look at this. And how many of you have the ESV again? I don't know why, and I'm, you know, I preach from the ESV. I love the ESV. I don't know why they put verse 12 and they separated it from verses 7 through 11. Verse 12 belongs with 7 through 11. So, in light of verses 1 through 11, so, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the third, I think, most quoted Bible verse, uh, or paraphrased verse in the Bible, right? The golden rule. Treat others as you what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even people who don't know Jesus are quoting that verse. And and what is Jesus saying here? So much more than that. <laughs> so much more than that. Remember what Jesus said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I came to what? Fulfill them. Remember that, okay? And then, later on in Matthew, Jesus will be asked a question. Lord, what is the great command- what's the greatest commandment? And how did Jesus answer him? This is Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And he didn't stop there. He said, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So going back to verse 12 again, and just understand, what, what is he saying there in verse 12? By saying something very similar to what he said in chapter in Matthew chapter 22, in Matthew chapter 22, he said, "Listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That is the first four commandments in the Ten Commandments, and the last six commandments is love your neighbor as yourself. Those are you know, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws summed up in in those two commandments." Then in, in, in verse 12 of chapter 7 of Matthew, Jesus said, look, um, he, he, here's the deal. Here, you you want to see what it looks like to be a, a, a follower of me? If you are a follower of me, you will be a person who loves the Lord your God, and you'll be a person who loves your neighbor as yourself. And, and chapter 7, verse 1, about judging others and, and, and just everything that he said there has everything to do with what, the way we treat others. 
I, like I said this last week, I, I hope you walked away with this. Like when Jesus said, how can you, when you have a log in your eye, be critical of the speck in your brother's eye? I hope what you walked away with is that we all have a chronic plank problem, right? We all have a chronic plank, eye plank problem, every single one of us. Our hearts are idol factories, thereby we have planks in our eyes. And what Jesus is telling us to do in verses 1 through, through 6 is re, uh, self-evaluate. Let the law of God shine a light on your, on, your, on, your, on your heart to expose your sin so that you can see the plank that is in your eye so you don't become callous to it or, or, or that you ignore it. You take it and you address it so that when you see others, you're able to look upon others with compassionate eyes, knowing what kind of sin that, that, that you've been forgiven of. Right? That's, that's, the, that's chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. So Jesus says in verse 12, you know, it's all, I'm just, I'm, right now I'm just talking about how you treat your neighbors, how you love your neighbor. And now, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. You know, these are the... <laughs> How do, I, how do I get to this place, Jesus? You need help. You need God. How do I love God and love my neighbor? I need a dependence upon the God who loves me too much to leave me as I am. Like, this is encouraging to me. Like, Jesus preached this sermon, and when he did, he wasn't winking and nodding like you're never going to measure up and I'm going to just tell you so you feel bad about life. He expects us to, to, to obey this. He expects us to, to, to follow this, to apply it into our lives. The law of God, the, the commandments that, the, that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai serve to point us to our need for a redeemer. It serves to expose our hearts I used the phrase last week, when it comes to, when it comes to uh, salvation, I'm just one spiritual beggar telling another where they can find food. Uh, I am a sinner saved by grace. God didn't look at Keith Miller and say, wow, he's got some things nailed down pretty well. I think I'm going to save him because I don't have to do a whole lot of work with him. Right? No, wrong. <laughs> like, God saw me like, that guy is a mess. Like, he is a mess. You know why he's a mess? He's spiritually dead. He is a dead spiritual corpse that I can raise and make alive. And he's done that with every single one of us in this room who's played, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so the law exposes our sin. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, or wrote in Galatians chapter 3 to a bunch of legalists, he said uh, this, uh, legalistic Christians who think they, you know, if they did this and this and this, they, they can add to what Jesus did on the cross. And Paul's like, no, what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient. So, what, so Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, if you're taking notes, verses 23 through 24, the words are not on the screen, he says this, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being confined for the faith that was destined to be revealed, that is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, therefore the law, the commandments, has become our guardian, our teacher, to lead us to Christ. So it's pointing to our need for a Redeemer so that we may be justified by faith. 
And we sang about this in our, in the, in the, during the, the, the music part of our worship service. That's why I love, I love hymns. Uh, I love praise songs too. But uh, one of the things that, that set apart, now there's some bad hymns, but there are some really good hymns. One of the things that sets apart good, good theologically sound hymns is you don't need a full band to sing them. You can sing them, sing them without music. They stand on their own. They stand on their own. Like when you're dying on your deathbed, you're not going to be singing, my Jesus, I love you, I'm never going to let you go. I guarantee it. When you're petrified about what's coming next, because everybody, you know, there's this, there's this song, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? Um, when you're on your deathbed, you know what you're going to be singing if you're singing anything? I have one <laughs> that, that will not let me go. I envision myself singing songs like this, like his, his Mercy is More. That song, that, that, that hymn was written in 2018, or it was released in 2018. There are good hymns that are being written. What, I mean, think about the words. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he, that is God, counts not their sum. Thrown into the sea without bottom or shore, our sins there are many, his mercy is what, brothers and sisters? More. That's so rich. What patience would wait as we constantly roam, what father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins there are many, his mercy is more. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath the debt, neath a debt. We could never afford our sins. They are what? Many. His mercy is more. Yeah. I love praise songs. I love drums. I love guitar. I love all that. But man, this is rich. We were like, we just sang this. We just sang this truth that, that this, you know, truths that are shaped by things that we read in the Bible, like Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 12. And this leads me to the answer. I've got one minute to give you the answer. A little more. We have a Father who will not turn us away. How, how do we get to the, to the center of discipleship? How do, we, how do we do the Sermon on the Mount? We go to the one who will not turn us away. That's how. That, we go to him. We find our sustenance. We find our, our life. We find our satisfaction. We find our every hope. Everything is in him. We were made for him. We, and he invites us here in verses 7 through 11. He says, come to me. I will not turn you away. I was just overwhelmed by that truth this week. He will not turn us away. He, he, he loves, if you're a Christian, God set his affection upon you, and as a result, you are a son or, or you are a daughter of the living God. He did that. And, and all throughout the Bible, it's celebrated. This, this, the, the Bible celebrates this, like Romans chapter 8. Like, if God did not spare his son, how will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Right? Like, like this is... Uh, I don't think Deb would mind me sharing this. So I... I there's a season in Mark's life, I don't think he was going to church, I, I, I don't know what was going on there, but he was having heart issues, uh, and he landed in the hospital several weeks ago, and, 
and uh, looked like he pulled out of that and, thing, and he was going to be fine. I had a conversation last Sunday, I think it was last Sunday with Deb, and Deb was just elated that Mark had rededicated his life to Jesus. Jim Murphy, one of our elders, spent several hours with him. Mark wanted to just get right again with the Lord, and God visited with him in, in, in those moments and those hours. And I don't know what was going on that led to his cardiac arrest, but uh, here's, here's the reality. There is a, <laughs> there's a God who invites us to ask, and it will be given, to seek, and we will find, and to knock, and the door will be open. And you know what? On, on, on Thursday morning, I don't know the time, 9.15, 9.20, 9.30, when, when Mark breathed his last breath, he entered into the presence of a God who would not turn him away. And all that because of the faith and trust that he had in Jesus Christ. All because of Jesus. Like, that's the answer. It's all because of him. Hunger and thirst for a righteousness you can't produce in of your own self. You need a righteousness outside of yourself. That's the answer Jesus gives us. And, and what's so awesome about this, and, and just I was, again, geeking out while I was at the gym. At this, so I, I went from the stair climbers, I was thinking about this, to the bench press. I was, I was just doing the bench press thing, and I was thinking about this. I was thinking, man, like my, my brain just immediately went to Revelation chapter 3. I'm bringing this to a close. Revelation chapter 3, the words will not be on the screen. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to look at this yourself. It's Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, and it's a letter in Revelation written to a church, the church of Laodicea. Some of the letters that were written in those first three chapters of Revelation were letters of rebuke, and some of them were letters of encouragement. This is a letter of rebuke. And it begins with the words of the amen. You know, and it's just, um, the beginning of God's creation. I, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. And so what does that mean? You're neither cold nor hot. Well, here you had Laodicea, a city, and then you had one city on one side and another city on, on the other side. Laodicea didn't have uh, hot springs like this city did, and Laodicea didn't have cold springs that were good, which was good for drinking water like this other city did. They would, they would pipe in the, the cold water, and, uh, and I believe they would pipe in the hot springs. Now, how many of you have been to hot springs before? It smells like rotten eggs, right? Would you drink it? No, absolutely not. Like I'm not. But you get in it, and then you smell like rotten eggs for the rest of the day. But why do you do that? Because there's some kind of healing properties that, we, that, that people believe are in the hot springs. I've been in the hot springs. I love going to the hot springs. I'm not going to drink this stuff. And so the one city was known for the healing medicinal qualities of its hot, of its hot springs. The other city was known for its drinking water, because you need that to live. And what was happening is the water was getting, Jesus uses this illustration of the water getting mixed up and becoming lukewarm. What do you do when you bring hot medicinal hot spring water and uh, cold drinking water together? It becomes lukewarm. And then what happens if you were to drink that water? Like if you had a bottle of water, and you were sitting in the hot springs, and you're like living it up and, and, and loving it, and accidentally your water bottle fell into the water, and some of that hot stuff came in, and you took a sip, what would you do? I mean, any of you have gag reflex issues? <laughs> right? You'd gag. It's not, you spit it out. Like, what is this stuff? Jesus said that. Now, pay attention, because 
I, I want you to see this. So he, he encourages them to repent, Laodicea. He says, I counsel you. He, like, you guys think you have it nailed down. Like, you say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What happened? They took their eyes off of Jesus. That's what happened. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and, and, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may be not seen and salve to anoint your eyes so you can see again, so you can see me, so you can see Jesus, so that you may see. The, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Now look, here it is. Behold, this is not an evangelistic verse. Behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. I'm knocking, Laodicea. Let me in. I mean, I want to I be intimate with you. I want, I want you to thrive. Let me in. And he says, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on, on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear. Okay, so that's like, I was thinking, while I'm listening, wait, Revelation chapter 3. And then I thought, Song of Solomon chapter 5. I was just meditating on that. So... You can look at this in your Bible, or you can just listen, but Song of Solomon, chapter 5, beginning with verse 2. I don't know why, in the evangelical church, we treat Song of Solomon as nothing more than a manual on marital sex. It is not. It's so much more than that. It's about a relationship that we can have with God Almighty. And you're like, well, how do you know? Look at Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. What was the sound, bride? The bride is just saying, I was asleep, and I heard at my door. Knocking. Open to me, the groom says, my sister, not biological sister. This is a term of endearment. My love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off, and this is her response, I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? I don't want to get out of bed and get my feet dirty while he's knocking. Right? My beloved put his hand on the latch. The door's, the door's locked. And my heart was thrilled within me, she says. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers and liquid myrrh, on the handles of the bolts. I opened to my beloved, but what happened? But my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. Jesus was saying to the church in Laodicea, he was going back to Song of Solomon. He said, I'm knocking. Just open the door. We are so prone to keep the door locked. We are so prone because of the noise in our lives and how busy we are to not have time for this one who wants, who, who wants to be intimate with us, who, who calls us his bride, and, and he wants to fellowship with us. And where there's life. We're like, no, I'm too busy. I have to work. I, I, I got a football game to watch. I, I, I got so many things going on. I don't have time for you. And, and I was thinking and meditating upon that. And as I was thinking and meditating upon that, my heart was turned to, just turned to 
this passage in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, and it just, the thing that flooded my heart with, 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 was this truth that we have a God who will not turn us away. He will not turn us away. Some of you need to hear that. Like he's inviting you to knock. He's inviting you to seek him. He's inviting you to ask him. This is a passage on prayer, but it's so much more than just prayer. Like you want to know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus? Sermon on the Mount. How do I get there? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. He wants the best for you, and the best for you is Jesus. The best for you is the bread of life. The best for you is the, is the living water. And, you know, all of this speaks to my fickle, wandering heart. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door. And then he tells us in his sermon, your heavenly Father is there and he's waiting and he will not come up with some excuse, some petty excuse. He's not going to say, hey, my feet might get dirty. He's not going to say, I don't have time for you. He's made time for you. You know, he wants this relationship with you. Like Jesus says here in, in, in this passage, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your, he doesn't say God, he doesn't say Elohim, he doesn't say Yahweh, he doesn't say Adonai, he says how much will your what, brothers and sisters, your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. It's similar to what Paul the apostle wrote. And the worship team, or Ryan's going to come up and lead us in this final song. With you. It's, it's Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Jesus is saying the same thing here in Matthew chapter 7. It's all about him. We're going to sing you know, how deep uh, the Father's love for us. And it's, a, it's another modern hymn that was written not long ago. And and this is what we're going to sing. I just want you to hear the lyrics before we sing them. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away. From who? From his son. As wounds which mar the chosen one, Jesus Christ, bring many sons to glory. That's us. That's us. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.